0: Hey, folks, John Solomon here from John Solomon Reports. I'm proud to be on the iHeartRadio app every day with my podcast, with the news that we bring, the exclusive interviews. And you know what else is great? You can listen to any iHeartRadio station anywhere in the country inside this free The iHeart App Radio. If you don't have it right now, the iHeart Radio app is a winner. Be sure to download the free iHeart Radio app today and start streaming your favorite radio stations, your favorite podcasts, and your favorite music playlists right from the iHeart Radio app. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday, or we might say the second day of the Election for a House Speaker. We haven't said that many times in history. You have to go back a century from the last time that we've had a contested two day or more multiple vote contest for a Speaker. But Kevin McCarthy on this day has lost two more elections, bringing the total to five. And a six one is about to begin as we start this podcast. It's an extraordinary moment, but what's really going on here is a battle for the heart and soul of the Republican Party, a fight over whether Republicans who have portrayed themselves since the Barry Goldwater era as the fiscal conservatives are actually going to match the promise. With their actions. That's what these 20 holdout Republicans, now 21, because Virginia Sparks has voted present today. That's what they're fighting for. It's not about the rules. It's not about all the arcane things that the news media would have you focus on. It's on whether the entire Republican caucus will trust that Kevin McCarthy's leadership will lead them to smaller government, smaller spending, and the end of these extraordinary deficits, which, by the way, have grown in just 20 years from 6.7 trillion in national debt to trillion at the end of this fiscal year. That is what's at stake here. That's what you're really watching. And today, we've seen Kevin McCarthy face the same defeat he faced three times yesterday, two more times today. Sounds like it'll be a third time before it's all done. We're going to bring in Nick Balassee in the middle of the show to give us an update right from the floor of the House where the vote is taking place. But first, we're going to have a very special opportunity today. I'm really excited about... Our lineup, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, newly elected, he was sworn in because the Senate is actually in business now, yesterday to his third term. He has been a champion of truth. There were three major things that I've been able to cover Senator Johnson on in the last few years. The first was unraveling the Russia collusion scandal. The second was unraveling the Hunter Biden scandal, even when we were told it was Russian disinformation. Senator Johnson fought the FBI, fought the Democrats, fought the mainstream media, fought social media, and got the facts out to the American people alongside of people like Senator Chuck Grassley. And then more recently, he has challenged the concerns or the public health community's refusal to look at the concerns about adverse reactions from the COVID-19 vaccine. And on all three of those fronts, Ron Johnson began with a, a maelstrom of antagonism, a maelstrom of efforts to silence him. On all three, he has prevailed. We now know the truth about Russia collusion. It was an FBI investigation without a predicate. It did not find collusion because it didn't happen. We now know that Hunter Biden's laptop was real and that the foreign business deals that I began writing about in 2019, that Peter Schweitzer began writing about in 2018, that Miranda Devine wrote about, starting in late 2020, that they were true, that these were real issues, that these business deals occurred, that Hunter Biden was trading on his father's name in foreign countries and landing a lot of money, and in some cases, arranging meetings with his father or meetings in his father's orbit. Now, Senator Ron Johnson has now been able to get the CDC, to get the medical health community, to get some social media companies to acknowledge that there are Significant signals, that's what the medical community calls them, significant signals of adverse reactions to the COVID 19 vaccine. Doesn't mean that the whole COVID vaccine is a failure, doesn't mean that it doesn't help many people, but it does mean that there is injury potential there, that there are unresolved or unexplained consequences for some people who take the vaccine or the booster or the booster after that. And he was silenced for a long time. But in the recent days, including in the last 24 hours with the CDC, we're now beginning to see more and more and more people discuss the reality of that. And today, Senator Ron Johnson is going to address all of those things and what the delay in American people getting the truth about the FBI, about Hunter Biden, about the vaccine, about mitigation strategies for COVID, what consequence it has had on the everyday Americans like myself and you who live in this country and rely on the decisions of our government to be honest, to give us the information that we can make informed decisions, whether it's whether to elect Joe Biden or Donald Trump in the 2020 election, where we were kept from the knowledge of Hunter Biden's laptop, or whether to understand that the FBI engaged in misconduct to try to frame a president with a Russia collusion narrative that wasn't true, or... To make an informed decision, to give informed consent about whether I should take a vaccine or not, put that into my body because it will help me or not help me or has the potential to hurt me, doesn't have the potential to hurt me. That's what Senator Johnson's going to be here to talk about. Then we'll get that update from Nick Ballacy. That's going to be pretty exciting. And then we'll wrap up with a new guest, someone first time on the show. He is the chairman of the Committee to Defeat the President used to be a super PAC that was supporting Donald Trump. Before that, he ran a super PAC stopping Hillary Clinton. So he was a chairman of the Stop Hillary PAC in 2016. He was chairman of the Committee to Defend the President, a super PAC for President Trump. And now he's the chairman of the Committee to Defeat the President, a la Joe Biden. Ted Harvey joins us, former Colorado State Senator. He has a lot of interesting insights about what's going on in the world And uh, he has a bold prediction, who might be a leading contender for the Democratic nomination for president that you're not thinking about. No, not Gavin Newsom. No, not Kamala Harris. No, not Joe Biden. He's got another name. If you tune in, you're going to get it. And he'll explain why, why this particular Democrat could emerge as an unexpected contender in the 2024 race. I'm sure he'll weigh in on President Trump's prospects for re-election in 2024 and those of Governor DeSantis. Lots of exciting discussion ahead with Ted Harvey, and of course, starting with Senator Ron Johnson, right after these commercial messages. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. So excited to have this next guest on yesterday. He raised his hand and was sworn in for his third term as a United States senator from the great state of Wisconsin, where I spent eight years of my life joining us right now. Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, congratulations on a third term and welcome to the show. Well, Happy New Year, John. Uh, Look forward to talking to you here. Absolutely. Well, listen, over the holidays, I thought of you several times because there were study after study, announcement after announcement, usually in foreign countries, but some in America, too, where there's an acknowledgement that there is the phenomenon of vaccine injury, that the COVID-19 vaccines do have some problems. A year or two years ago, a year and a half ago when you started, just to ask the right questions about this, you were ridiculed, you censored. Now we're beginning to see the truth come out. One, I'm sure it's satisfying too, but also frustrating that it took so long, right?
1: Well, it's enormously frustrating because I think we could have prevented so much harm if our federal health agencies would have been honest and transparent, if they would have actually used the safety surveillance systems that they were touting in October before they got the emergency use authorization on this Uh, that then they basically uh, denigrated uh, once those safety surveillance systems were screaming at them that there were real serious safety signals for example bayers i remember i think it was about the april time frame and by the way i was always watching bayers because i've been talking to these eminently qualified doctors medical researchers that had reservations about this mrna technology um so I, I was talking to people before the the emergency use authorization was granted, and so I, I thought we ought to exercise some caution on here. Now, I was a big supporter of Operation Warp Speed. I'm definitely not anti-vax, but I realized this was something different. I mean, this literally is gene therapy. They they had to change the definition of vaccine to, you know, get this into that category. But when I saw, you know, back then is I think over 3,000 deaths reported on Bayer's by and i hate to you know say the exact time frame but these were worldwide deaths at that time more than 40 percent were occur- occurring on day zero one or two and you know to, to, you know I, I remember the history of the swine flu vaccine where you had a couple dozen deaths about four to five hundred cases of the guillaume beret disease reported they they stopped the program they pulled the vaccine and here we were you know, tens of thousands of reported adverse events, over 3,000 deaths, over 40% occurring on day zero, one, or two. And I realized VAERS doesn't prove causation, but that would certainly concern me. And that, then I had a individual, not individual, but a face-to-face meeting with a bunch of other Republican senators with Francis Collins. And I raised the issue with him and he just blew me off. He said, Senator, people die. Um, that, that That's, again, my antenna were... You know, highly raised alarm bells are going off in in, in my head. But again, this is spring uh, of 2021, and the safety signals have been screaming ever since. And it has just baffled me about why we are in a complete state of denial in terms of the Biden administration, the federal health agencies, the pharmaceutical companies, the mainstream media, and the the big tech social media giants. The, The COVID cartel. Has been suppressing this ever since, and of course, because of my advocacy, I, I got connected to the thousands of people who have been vaccine injured, and I've given them a voice. I've, I've let them tell their stories, um, and it, so I've met them. I, I, I say I, I've hugged the vaccine injured. I, I've hugged the survivors. You know, people who lost loved ones uh, within a day or two of a vaccine the vaccination. I believe their stories, and all these people wanted to be heard and believe so they can get help so they can you know receive therapy because without the acknowledgement that vaccine injuries are real the medical establishment is just blowing them off they won't even consider uh, that as a cause of their ailments it's it's really tragic
0: it it really is there is a i think a positive development it's only happened in the last 24 hours but the cdc according some the results that were released to the epoch times says that it's found hundreds of safety signals for the two most widely used COVID vaccines, of course, Pfizer and Moderna. That is a long delayed, but I think monumental acknowledgement, something that they really sat on for quite some time. You have been in the middle of, I think, some of the hardest truths to force into the public. Hunter Biden, the Russia collusion case. FBI corruption, the problems with the vaccine, even from good intentioned people who wanted to make a good vaccine, but their problems, we should just acknowledge them. How hard is it in this current environment to get truth out? It seems like it's, it's such an uphill slog if the establishment media doesn't want to cover it.
1: Well, it is very difficult. I mean, we are dealing in terms of government with the deep state. Uh, they realize they are pretty much immune. Uh, they can act with impunity in terms of hiding information from the public. We 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 don't even have close to a transparent government. We we, we have a deep state. It is populated by leftists. Uh, They are ideologically aligned, and they're just not going to let the American public know what they're up to. Uh, They've got vast power uh, when when it comes to Hunter Biden. I mean, just take a look at what the FBI did to set the uh, conditions or sabotaging the Hunter Biden laptop should their threats to Mr. McIsaac not be effective. And he actually came forward with that laptop. And remember when, when they left the shop and you know, one of the FBI agents said, uh, turned around and said, by the way, it's, it's our experience that uh, people who don't talk generally don't get in trouble. And I think you know this, John, that, uh, you know, the, the day after we issued our report, uh, Mr. McIsaac uh, did offer us that computer, but, you know, because we had been provided these uh, unsolicited briefings about Russian disinformation and, and Russian interference, you know, regardless of that briefing or not, we, we would have done our due diligence on that computer. I mean, it was a stolen property, whatever. But they were laying the groundwork with Twitter, these social agencies, with you know, unsolicited briefings to Senator Grassley and I that they later leaked to smear me. But they were doing all this just to be able to sabotage immediately uh, if Mr. McIsaac went public with that computer, and of course, that's what happened. I mean, with, within, within days, all of a sudden, you got a, a letter from 51 former intelligence officials uh, saying they had the earmark of, of a Russian information operation. That letter was an information operation. So again, I'm, I'm just highlighting that to, to put in perspective. That is what the deep state will do to protect Hunter Biden. Just think what they will do. To protect themselves, their wrongdoing. If you go to COVID, um, the, the fact that they've been ignoring these safety signals, the fact that they would sabotaged the use of these widely available, relatively safe, generic, cheap, generic drugs that work—you know, things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and corticosteroids and budesonide. I mean, there, there's a cornucopia of drugs that work that. Because of what Fauci did, the, the you know, health agencies, they sabotaged the use of that. So doctors wouldn't touch them with a the 10-foot pole. I believe doctors who said that the hundreds of thousands of people died lacking treatment. I think uh, an awful lot of Americans understand, too, that uh, their loved one, when they got COVID, couldn't get treatment. It was just like, go home. They turn blue in the face, then go to the hospital and... I guess we'll 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 shove remdesivir in your arms to tune about three thousand bucks, and then a ventilator, and just kind of watch you die. I mean, that that's the sad reality of what happened in way too many cases uh, with COVID. So again, with 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 that as the history, with that as the reality, just think of what the deep state will do, you know, the COVID cartel, to hide their grotesque mismanagement of the pandemic so again agencies have learned that the press is not the press is is not going to press them for information when it's a liberal uh administration Uh, so so they can act with impunity so what we need johnny you know this we need whistleblowers we need a lot of whistleblowers we need the people that have integrity in these agencies that have documents that have knowledge and, and maybe it's just a little piece of the puzzle. We need we need all those pieces of the puzzle so we can put public pressure to get these agencies to be a little bit more transparent.
0: Yeah, uh, there's no doubt that is going to be the key for the next couple of years. Twenty FBI whistleblowers we know have come out to you and to Senator Grassley, to Jim Jordan. We understand there may be more coming forward in the next few weeks. You just said something. And I know a lot of people in the past would have said, oh, that's Ron Johnson. He that, that you know, silly stuff. He said there's a deep state. And it's trying to impose liberal values. I'm gonna read you a quote that occurred on this show yesterday because it didn't come from a politician, it came from one of the FBI's Former, most senior leaders in the, in the FBI, former chief of the criminal division, the assistant director for criminal division, Chris Wecker. He came on the show yesterday. He said exactly what you just said, Senator Johnson. He said, listen, uh, there's a whole sale takeover, the bureaucracy of the Justice Department. It's filled with the political appointees in every position. They are incredibly liberal in their politics and they now have sort of taken over the FBI and they're inserting that ideology into high-profile investigations. That's a career G-man, an FBI guy saying exactly what you're saying. People are beginning to embrace the things that you two or three years ago were trying to expose. Now people are coming out and affirming them. Vaccines, FBI, Hunter Biden. Any sense of just a little satisfaction that maybe the truth is starting to sink through?
1: Oh, you know, satisfaction be the, the wrong word. I mean, maybe an inkling of hope. Um, but, I, you know, John, I know what powerful forces were up against. Like I said, I, I know what they did just to protect Hunter Biden, and I know I've got a sense of what they will do to protect themselves. You know, what, what gives me encouragement, though, is I, I had an FBI agent, you know, randomly at an airport, recognized me, came up, gave me an FBI coin and say, Senator, the rank and file are with you. Thank you for what you're doing. And I've, I've had the same thing in terms of medical establishment. You know, doctors who... And I understand the fear. I mean, the, the COVID cartel is destroying people like Peter McCulloch and Pierre Corey and, and, and the doctors who have had the courage and compassion to not only treat patients, but be public about it. You know, these doctors, they spend decades gaining their skill. You know, The young ones are hundreds of dollars in debt. They want to help people. They want to remain doctors. But when they see certifications being threatened Uh, licenses being pulled out of the doctors, they they can't come forward. I mean, the fear factor works, but quietly they come up to me and say, Sandra, thank you. Thank you for telling the truth. So, you know, there, there is that undercurrent of people that do see what's happening. You know, unfortunately most people get their news from the big tech social media giants. I mean, they get, that's, that's the narrative. Uh, That's what's out there. So people got to dig a little bit deeper uh, they have to go into these alternate sites like just the news um, and to get the truth, the epic times. I mean, there, there, there is the truth out there. We still have a free press, but people have to go the extra mile to to access it. Um, but, you know, again, I, I'm I'm not, I'm not under any illusions. I mean, I, I got reelected, but I sure was hoping I'd be chairman so that the subpoenas would already be flying on some of these issues. Now I've, I've got to try and work. And I've, 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 by the way, you know, Senator Ossoff has been cooperative on some of these things, but uh, I'm hoping he'll be more cooperative as, as hopefully his eyes are opened up with the public in terms of why we need to fully investigate what happened with COVID in some of these other areas. Um, but unfortunately, so much of this has become partisan. It's, you know, COVID never should have been a partisan issue, but let's face it, the, the Fauci's the world. You'll read, read uh, Paul Alexander's a book, Presidential Takedown, and you'll see that the mindset of, of how they politicized COVID to basically take down Trump. Um, just the truth. I mean, by the way, there are some great books for your listeners. Presidential Takedown's a good one. Viral is an excellent book. Al- Alina Chan and Matt Ridley kind of lay out. That's kind of the whole origin thing. And, and, and the drastic, when we talk about whistleblowers, this, this group called Drastic on the internet, these internet sleuths that just know how to mine information and data. I mean, that we need ordinary people to help us get, The truth out. Uh, But uh, Cause Unknown is Great by Ed Dowd. Excellent book, A Turtle's All the Way Down. If you want to kind of explore the whole truth about the history of vaccines, there are some excellent publications. The truth's available there, John, but people need to work a little bit
0: harder to get it. Yeah, well, because of you, it's a lot more widespread. You have worked so relentlessly and against. Such forces to just get basic facts out. But I feel like those facts are beginning to sink in. I want to turn to one thing and ask you this question. We had Congressman James Comer, and he's going to be the chairman of the House Oversight Committee. And he said that the roadmap you left him. The roadmap of the SARS, the suspicious activity reports uh, showing Hunter Biden's receipt of uh, suspicious money from overseas accounts, that that is going to be the roadmap he's going to take it to try to take it to the next round. And that is to time up when money came into Hunter Biden from suspicious foreign actors and when it may have gone out to his father's accounts, as we know, in some cases it did, or when his father took actions around the time that benefited the people paying the money. There's got to be some sense of satisfaction knowing that that's going to be extended. But also, you as a senator, will you be able to help or work with the House committees to help them along and to speed up their inquiries on things like Hunter Biden, COVID origins, uh, vaccine injury?
1: Well, you know what an excellent team I have over here. So just from the standpoint of manpower, absolutely, we can help them. We've offered that help. Uh, we've got an indication they'll accept that offer of help. I mean, one thing for example, when they bring in uh people to take uh, to interview them take depositions and stuff, it'd be very helpful to have you know my staff there listening to to potentially give them some information now, you know not not to interfere in the the questioning stuff but just be present to hear it just having that
0: institutional memory yeah
1: you know, so, so again I, I hope they fully uh take us up on our offer to 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 work on this because you know, I'm, I'm hoping in a couple of years we can you know be in the, the majority and, and have the type of subpoena power that uh, you, you do need um but again uh subpoenas only go so far you know that we, we subpoenaed uh, christopher ray he gave us you know pretty much the middle finger he's continued to give uh, congress the middle fingers as so many of these agency heads and and uh, officials do uh so it, it does it needs to be a team effort you know congressional staff is only so large I mean, we don't have you know we don't have unlimited resources so uh, we gotta fully cooperate with with each other and the goal is the truth. I mean, from my standpoint, it's not it's not partisan game. It's literally my goal has always been. I, I think somebody asked me one time, well, well who are you going to target? I don't target people. I target the truth. The American people deserve the truth, and they're not getting it right now. And that's, if, if, if anything drives me, it's that. It's just, I'm just outraged by, you know, I come from the private sector. and We've got to be an open book. I mean, you've got the government come knocking on you. Here's our OSHA 200 logger, you know. We, we have to be transparent to the government. And then I come into government, and I realize well, the government's tra- not transparent with us at all. I mean, they, they, are a, they set the rules, so they're above the rules. And that is the exact a- attitude that is displayed by people like Christopher Wray and other agency heads. It's like, hey, we are the law. You, know, you guys have rules. You know, We'll pass laws that you've got to follow, but <laughs> don't expect us to follow those rules and by the way you'll never catch us breaking the rules either because we we know we know where all the wrongdoing is buried we know how to hide the ball we do it very effectively and you can't touch us
0: It's an amazing dynamic. We are the science. We are the law. We are the deciders. And uh, that has been exactly what our founding fathers feared a big government would become if we allowed it to become. So I want to end with this question because it is the news of the day, but I think there's a much larger narrative. The same sort of debate that occurred in the Senate in November about who should be the leader and what sort of leadership the Republican Party is going to have going forward is now playing out in the House with the Kevin McCarthy saga. There's been a very robust, healthy discussion about a topic that you always talk about, and that is reining in the insane spending and the deficit and the debt and all the things that we've foist upon future generations of America. Your reaction to the debate that's going on in the House and what it might mean for the larger conservative movement? Will conservatives actually go back and become fiscal conservatives? Because the record in the last 20 years hasn't been that great.
1: You know, John, I come from a manufacturing background. And one thing you find out in manufacturing is you cannot have a good product if you don't have a good process that's under control. And right now, we don't have a process here. I mean, actually, we do. I mean, it's, this doesn't just happen, these omnibuses. This is actually planned by both sides. Uh, t- take everybody else out of the equation other than the four people who have power in Washington, D.C., the president, the minority and majority leader of the Senate, and Speaker of the House. I mean, they, they, they run the printing press here, okay? They, they run the spending machine. And you need to involve the American public in what government spends and what we fund through their elected representatives. The way you do that is you restore a process. And that process is pass a budget. If you can't pass a balanced one, use the debt ceiling increase, the way it was designed to be increased, which is... You know, attach to it fiscal controls. It'll help you keep things under control in the future. And then use that budget to drive an appropriation process. I mean, there'll still be massive spending bills. I mean, there'll be hundreds of billions of dollars, each one of them. But at least it's, it's, it's more under control. There will be more things highlighted. I mean, you can start pointing out waste in the Defense Department or Health and Human Services or EPA. Okay, it, it's, it's a better process. And so hopefully you'll have a better product. But, you know, I, I was always talking about, you know, when we, you know, had a leadership election here in the Senate, it really wasn't, you know, nothing personal. It was about establishing a different governing model for the Republican Conference in the Senate, and I would say the Republican Conference in the House. You will get leadership to embrace, like, like, by the way, like you do in the private sector. Most private sector companies, big ones have a mission statement. They have general principles. I mean, this is how we treat our employees. This is how we treat our customers. This is the integrity we show. Here are our annual goals. You know, ha- have that type of governing model where we establish, this is our mission as conservative Republicans. Here are our principles. I mean, the principle I would like to see is we support no legislation that would grow the size, scope, or cost of government. I mean, pretty simple right i mean i, I make it again we need to defend this country that's the top priority that would be another principle top priority national defense homeland security okay establish those principles to guide your actions so that's the process that we need to establish so again i i don't get freaked out at all about the, if this is a multi-day process for determining the speaker if it results in the leadership no matter who that is embracing principles that are conservative, embracing and guaranteeing an ironclad guarantee that they will pass a budget, use the debt ceiling the way it's meant to be used and bring up all the appropriation bills to deliver to Chuck Schumer Senate. And then here in the Senate, our responsibility would have to be use every parliamentary maneuver that we have at our disposal to bring those appropriation bills up in front of the Senate and just start a better process. This is so horribly broken, so grotesquely dysfunctional, and we're mortgaging our kids' futures as a result.
0: Yeah, and it's good to remind people that the last time Republicans actually followed that sort of a process, we ended up with a balanced budget for a few years. We actually had a surplus. The process actually can work if we can just get back to it. Senator, it's such a great honor to have you on the show, and it's a great honor to watch little by little, the truth come out and other things that you've been talking about for a long time. I think 2023 year is going to be a very big boomerang year for a lot of these stories that the liberal press and the bureaucracy tried to foist upon us. It's going to be very interesting. We wouldn't have had that moment if it weren't for your hard work.
1: Well, John, we wouldn't have had a lot of these moments were it not for your hard work. I mean, your groundbreaking reporting on Anthony Fauci in those foster, with those foster kids in New York, uh, I, I fully understood how important that was when I read The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert Candy Jr. But, I mean, every step of the way, you've done such groundbreaking investigatory work. Uh, we need you to keep up your efforts, too. So, <clears throat> listen, I, I appreciate you know the kudos you're giving me, but I, I've got to come right back at you. you you're in an amazing journalists and i hope people truly understand that and appreciate it
0: well we got a lot more work ahead of us but truth is our mission so uh, we're working together on a very important future for this great country senator thanks so much for the time we really enjoyed the conversation today we're going to get you back on real soon take care stay well thank you my friend take care all right folks we to take a quick commercial break we'll be right back after these messages IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com/justnews. That's tnusa.com/justnews. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break like we did yesterday with the dramatic developments unfolding on Capitol Hill. There's no better person to bring in, no better authority than our own Nick Ballacy, our congressional correspondent. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, John. What a day. I, I, today kind of feels like yesterday. Uh, the Same uh, vote, same outcome. We Kevin McCarthy falling 20 votes short. There were a couple of... Big developments. First, I want to talk a little bit about the story you broke this morning. There was a call last night where Donald Trump, the former president, got involved and was negotiating with Scott Perry, the head of the Freedom Caucus, and Kevin McCarthy. Tell us about that. That's a pretty important development. We didn't know until you broke that story. Yes. So Perry was involved in
2: that meeting uh, with McCarthy and with Trump. And so they were talking about potential agreement. Uh, It was described to me by a source as productive but then I saw a tweet from Perry saying, look, our rules requests, our rules changes have not been adopted, regardless of what you're hearing in the mainstream press or from McCarthy himself. Uh, and then also his uh, Perry spokesman got back to me and just said he's standing firm and he wants a change to the status quo. So we're still at a standstill uh, with the situation. And it just remains to be seen. What the next move is for McCarthy, because it looks like they're heading to a sixth ballot uh, in this
0: speaker election. Five down. Maybe another one to come today. Maybe two. Who knows? One other change. So the votes are pretty much stayed the same, except for one moment. Virginia Sparks, congresswoman from Indiana, Republican Decided to vote present for the first time. That's another defection. Voting present means you don't count one way or the other. And it also changes the number of votes that Kevin McCarthy would need to get to have the majority from 218 to potentially 217. Tell us a little bit about that. What message maybe she and others around her were trying to send?
2: I think a lot of the members who are opposing uh, McCarthy uh, right now, they just want some sort of resolution, because there hasn't been a negotiation. And the member you're talking about, a, or a concrete resolution uh, to those negotiations that may be, going on, may be going on behind the scenes. And the member you were talking about apparently attended a rules meeting with uh, Biggs, uh, the former House Freedom uh, Caucus Chair. So I think right now, it really comes down to the, the demands they have. These are longstanding things that they've asked for in terms of rules changes, and just the way that the appropriations and the budgeting process works in Congress that apparently have been rebuffed by the uh, House GOP leadership. And clearly they want more uh, than what's been approved up to this point uh, in exchange for support uh, for McCarthy. And I think that's kind of where this has to land. There has to be some sort of breakthrough in whatever negotiations are going on because there hasn't been a concrete resolution as far as I understand it, from my sources who are uh, close to uh, the House Freedom Caucus members who are opposing McCarthy.
0: Yeah. Now, there's one other question. I've seen it come up in my Twitter feed. So why is McCarthy continuing to have the same vote over and over again? There's a problem here, right, which is that the Democrats have not agreed to adjourn uh, for the day. So they have to do something. And that's why these votes keep occurring, correct?
2: Uh, Exactly. Exactly. So because there wasn't a motion to adjourn, uh, they have to just keep going back to back doing Uh, the votes. And we reported early on today that there was talk that McCarthy's allies were trying to, at least seeking, to get a motion to adjourn right away today, which would give McCarthy more time to do what we're talking about, these concrete negotiations, and maybe give the Freedom Caucus members a little more. He hasn't really had time to do that, at least not face-to-face. And so they wanted to do the uh, motion to adjourn, but you also would need some support from Democrats if those Freedom Caucus members uh, oppose a motion to adjourn. So it needed to be more of a bipartisan move, given the thin majority that the Republicans have uh, in the House. So they haven't been able to do it. But there's talk of a motion to adjourn after this sixth ballot that's coming up. So if that happens, it gives McCarthy more time, maybe President Trump to get more involved, uh, to, to actually hash this out.
0: Now, a little while ago, I watched Ken Buck on television. Ken Buck's a pretty strong conservative. I would put him in the Tea Party sort of area of the party. And he said this can't keep going on, that uh, there needs to be conversations. Either McCarthy has to make a deal or someone has to tell him to move aside. This shouldn't drag on beyond tonight. What do you think is going on? Do you think Ken Buck is representative of maybe a much larger group of people than himself when he makes those public pronouncements?
2: Yeah, that does sound right. I don't think the Republican Party in general wants us to keep going on because whether they want it to or not, it's kind of projecting the image that they're in disarray and that there's chaos. At least it's what's uh, eating up uh, a lot of the headlines. And so I think they're trying to figure out, you know, what's the breakthrough here, whether, whether McCarthy stays in it, but concedes on some of the points the Freedom Caucus wants or if some sort of consensus candidate can emerge. Uh, to get the support of those Freedom Caucus members. I've also heard, I don't know if it's exactly true, I haven't been able to confirm yet, but I'm sure you heard it, John, that uh, apparently there's talk of a consensus candidate with Democrats. I think that's a far-fetched reality. Um, I don't think it's a far-fetched thing that could happen, but I mean, we we just don't know how this thing is going to end. We we gotta, hopefully, you know, there's some sort of breakthrough and, and we can, you know, get the Congress rolling because, as you know, John, their family members are there. They're supposed to be doing the ceremonial swearing in. Without a speaker, you've got no swearing in. So, if you look on the feed, you see a lot of small, uh, uh, you see some babies, you see some children in the audience. So, uh, in the in the chamber, so it's everything's kind of at a standstill. I think uh, the American public is is looking, uh, watching this closely and waiting to see what what happens here in the end.
0: It sure is an amazing thing to watch, and it's important to remind people that there, normally on this day there would be a full Congress, but there are numerous congressmen-elect and congresswomen-elect who haven't been sworn in yet. Their only uh, function that they can do right now, they can't actually act as full congressmen, is to vote in the speaker's race, but they're frozen in time, all the committees are frozen in time. So the work of the people continues to be delayed as this extraordinary moment plays on. Nick, we enjoy all the great work you're doing. Big scoop on President Trump this morning. A lot of other good stuff going on. We'll be sure to have you give us an update as things unfold over the next few uh, days. Awesome. Sounds good. Looking forward to it, John. Really appreciate your good work. All right, folks, we'll take a quick commercial break when we come back. A really fascinating budget conversation with Ted Harvey, former head of the Trump Super PAC, now running the committee to defeat the president. He's got some ideas about 2024. You're definitely going to want to hear them right after this. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, Visit AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news to become a four year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americas, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us forward slash News. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis... Dotus Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash Just News for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org justnews Just News. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. A big, big debate has been playing out in the U.S. House of Representatives over who's going to be the next speaker, but it really is a much larger debate about the identity of the conservative movement. Are the values that have long been there going to be the values going forward? And is speech and practice going to match? Are are what people talk about doing actually going to be resulting in the actions that they talked about? Our next guest, well, he's on the front lines of trying to change America. He is the chairman of the committee. To defeat the president. Ted Harvey is a former Colorado State Senator and really on the front lines of really making America better. Ted, great to have you on the show today.
3: Well, thank you for having me on. I'm honored. Appreciate it.
0: You have an incredible organization, it has been working hard to put an end to the uh, Biden agenda and the Biden presidency but you have to be sitting back watching this debate on the House floor. I'd like to get you a little bit, just a little sense of what it is that's really playing out here. I mean, it sounds like, oh, it's about rules and negotiations and compromises and personality conflicts, but there's a much bigger issue at stake here, isn't there?
3: I think there You know, is. I've been a conservative legislator for for 13 years here in Colorado and trying to push the conservative movement forward and, and work around the country trying to get conservatives elected to the U.S. House and the Senate. And um, this is what this debate today and yesterday is all about, is what is what does it mean to be a Republican? Are we going to continue to work with the Democrats to expand our government, to expand our debt, or are we actually going to be um, small government, limited government, uh, conservative free market proponents um, and that is what this debate is all about and you you see what how powerful a handful of minorities that minority members of the caucus can do when they stick together, stick to their guns, stay united, and, and push an agenda and um, in a in a this close of a divided House of Representatives, a small group of of united conservatives can make a difference. And I hope that they're able to push the caucus to a point where they will agree to rules that will make sure that we can't Christmas tree all of these different bills the way that we have for decades with a bunch of bloated uh, amendments that are simply there to buy votes. And I think that's important for our republic is that we have the ability to push back and i think i you know i praise these these conservatives for sticking to their guns
0: it is remarkable and a lot of people say oh this is an embarrassment for the party it's uh it's a distraction uh get it off television let's end it but really this is a healthy debate it's been burbling for about a decade right the tea party Members of the 2010 election came in. They got frustrated by the status quo leadership. Then the uh, For America First members came in along with Donald Trump. They got frustrated by the inability to get things done. Getting this debate resolved, I think, probably has a long-term benefit to the conservative movement, to the Republican Party that outweighs any short-term national television embarrassment. Do you think this will end with republicans embracing the sort of government they've always talked about which is smaller government less regulation less spending do you think this minority within the majority are going to prevail
3: um i think it's yet to be seen i i'm actually surprised that they, it's gone to three votes i thought that we would get to one vote and the mccarthy wouldn't have his votes because people would say well I'll, I'll give you my first vote and um to the to the minority group and then after that I'll go with McCarthy and then now we've seen we've seen three votes and McCarthy hasn't been able to consolidate the party behind him.
0: And in fact he lost one vote.
3: Right. Right. And I that's what I'm most surprised at is I I really didn't pay that much attention to it because I didn't think that it would go this far. Now that it's gone this far I think it speaks volumes to the 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 lack of support that he has um and i think it it speaks volumes to the strength of this this very small caucus of conservatives um that you know this is what happens when when the caucus is this tight um i mean the division between the house the republicans and the democrats in the house is this tight you can have a small group to do it so um i think mccarthy's going to have to at some point submit to some of the demands that they are requesting and rule changes and the way that we um, can amend bills, the way that the the rules committee has such control over the direction of any bill that goes through the process, I think McCarthy's going to have to commit to some of those proposals or this is going to go on and on and on and it doesn't do McCarthy any good and in the end, it doesn't do the caucus
0: any good. Yeah, no. Every every vote that he loses or doesn't sew it up, uh, it just weakens his future speakership uh, that much more. I know a lot of people say, "Well, it's about the process." You hear the the mainstream media talking about this. It's about the process. It's about rule changes. It's about settling old scores. But really, this is about shrinking the size of government. These members just are tired of these massive Christmas, as you call them, Christmas tree bills that just spend without any regard for what the budget or what the revenues are or what the future consequence of debt is. Do you see it that way that really, while the, the discussions about, you know, what's the rules committee going to be and when can then the recall the speaker be, really it's about trying to get a hold of the spending that is uh, spiraled out of control?
3: Yeah, it has nothing to do with recalling the speaker or anything like that. It has to do with the the – the machine in Washington, D.C. uses the budget to buy votes in their independent districts rather than pushing a, um, a a policy or a position that's going to be good for America. It is simply what's good for the individual politicians in Washington, D.C. And conservatives who truly believe in shrinking government and being responsible um, c- custodians of the taxpayers' dollars are 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 tired of being rolled year in and year out for decades. And they got elected by their constituents to go to Washington, D.C. and push back against this, you know, they call it the swamp, but what it is is just human nature. If if people have the ability to spend other people's money, they're going to do it as politicians. And that just is bloating the the budget to a point where it's unsustainable. And these conservatives are saying, we've got to change the process of how we pass bills so that we can control the human nature. And um, I think that in, until we do that, until we actually have people that are committed to doing that, we're going to continue to go down the line that the Republican Party has for decades. That's working with the Democrats to, to um, push the Democrats agenda, not the, the American people's agenda. So I think this is a good thing. We'll see what happens over the next couple of days, whether McCarthy can pull it together or not.
0: Yeah, it's such an important thing. We, we did a little story a couple of weeks ago when Mitch McConnell took over as Senate whip in 2003, eventually becoming leader. The national debt stood at 6.7 trillion. Today, it's at 32 trillion. That means 80 percent of the debt that this country has accumulated over 246 years have occurred on the two decades where Mitch McConnell was in charge. A lot of people refer to this as the uniparty phenomenon, which is that Republicans have yielded so much time to big spending Democrats that at the end of the day, there's not much difference in the minds of everyday voters. Is that a danger here? And is that what these activists, these Freedom Caucus guys are really trying to change, which is Republicans are not are, are different not only in word, but in practice? Well, it's undeniable that, that they are working together as, as one. You,
3: you just look at what happened with the omnibus package that went through in the last couple of weeks, where the Republicans understand, everybody understands that the Democrats are a lame duck Senate and that the Republicans in the, in the Senate could have just held out and said, we're not going to give you the 60 votes to get anything passed um, and, until we get a Republican Congress put in place in the House that will actually control the the purse strings of government, instead of waiting just a couple more weeks, Mitch McConnell and, and uh, the moderate rhino Republicans, whatever you want to call them, worked with the Democrats to push through one of the, the, the Democrats' dream package to get all of their wish lists through before they walked out of office. And why would any conservative Republican have any faith in the Republican Party or Republican leadership if they're going to work with the Democrats in a lame duck Congress? Um, They're not. And that's why you see this handful of of conservatives in the House standing up and saying enough is enough. We've got to put uh, rules in place that protect the American taxpayer against Republicans working with Democrats to um, Christmas tree all of these different bills. And um, it, until we have rules put in place that protect the American taxpayers from politicians spending other people's money, we're never going to get our budget in, under control.
0: Yeah, such a great point. Does this debate spill into the RNC debate?
3: Without a doubt. Without a, I think it's one of the same. Um, it, what we saw in the last election cycle, over well, the last three election cycles, is McConnell and McCarthy really working behind the scenes to fund candidates that would vote for them for leadership. And you saw the RNC working behind the scenes to do the very same thing, and they had their thumb on the scale in Republican primaries across the country. And then after the primaries, you saw them have their thumb on the scale of which candidates they would fund and which candidates they would not fund um, based on who they were going to be supporting for leadership. And I don't really care who the leader of the party is, as as long as they are playing fair amongst Republican candidates. Stay out of the primaries and fund everybody equally if they have a great chance of winning an election. I mean, I don't want them spending money in, in stupid races where they'll never win. But if they have the opportunity to win, get out of the way and let the process um, go and then fund those people that have the ability to win. You look what happened in Alaska with uh, McConnell getting involved in that race simply because um, Murkowski was going to vote for him Um, and then not spending any money in Arizona um, to help us win the U.S. Senate race in Arizona. That, that, That was simply because One candidate would vote for him and another candidate wouldn't vote for him, and now we're in the minority in the U.S. Senate because of those kinds of things, and that's what the RNC was doing as well. Um, We continue to lose election cycle after election cycle with the current leadership at the RNC. I believe we need to go in a different direction. Or if anything, if you are a small donor, don't give money to the RNC, don't give money to any of these leadership election co- uh, packs and give money to PACs like mine that are actually going out there and getting conservatives elected and uh, doing everything we can to make America first, not make leadership first.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. And you played such an important role during the Trump years with the, one of the most important Trump super PACs. Now that PAC has morphed into the committee to defeat the president, which means you have your sights set on Joe Biden and trying to get him ousted from office. Tell us a little bit about your priorities and also early on, what messages are working against the Biden presidency? There's been so many failures, whether losing in the court, fumbling the Afghan withdrawal, inflation in the economy, China's rise and Russia's war. What are the messages that most resonate with the sort of voters that are going to decide the 2024 election?
3: Well, first and foremost, um, I, I think that we've got to make sure that we do take back the Senate and make sure that the next Republican president um, has the ability to push their agenda forward in a conservative fashion by supporting conservative candidates in the House and the Senate. Um, but then we've got to make sure that Joe Biden is defeated. The, um, I, I think one of the most important ways to do that is to get recorded votes and so show the the difference between a conservative Republican leadership and the Democrat repu- leadership, leftist leadership, and the Republicans in the house need to send bills to, you know, through the house process and to the Senate that will get people on record. And the only way to do that is to, is to carry bills. Like I would love to see uh, the Republicans in the house carry a bill to Implement the remain in Mexico policy that says that you cannot seek asylum unless you are um, doing so outside of the United States before you get here um, when when Donald Trump put that in place, it brought illegal immigration to a trickle and on day one Biden um, overturned that executive that executive order and now you see what's going on at the border today. I think the Republicans in the House should say, let's codify that in federal statute and um, let's get a recorded vote on that. Let's get Republicans on a recorded vote. Let's get Democrats on a recorded vote and send that over to the Senate and see what the Senate does with it. Um, I think that's going to passing bills like that, that show exactly what Republicans will do when they have control of the of the White House and of the House and the Senate will show a strong. Uh, Defining line that says this is what Republican leadership is and this is what Democrat leadership is. Because everybody understands right now what's going on at the border. And that's what happens when Democrats are in control. I think the Republicans need to show that kind of leadership
0: of what ha- will happen if they're in control. Yeah, such a great point. If Biden doesn't run, I guess that's a possibility. There's some other interesting Democrats out there in your home state. A lot of people talk about Jared Polis having national ambitions. And of course, Governor Newsom in California, he's walking and talking like a presidential candidate every day a little bit more. How interesting are they to run against? I mean, they're unknown to a lot of Americans, but very liberal records in both states, probably not the sort of things that a lot of middle Americans are going to want to embrace.
3: Well, I definitely think Newsom is not somebody that the the, the flyover states will want to embrace. Um, he's very, very leftist. But I think in a Western state like Colorado, where you have a governor who was elected by 20% um, in his second run uh, just in last November, I think Jared Polis is going to be an attractive alternative to um, Joe Biden. And Jared Polis is the first gay governor in the history of our country. And I think that Um, He desperately wants to be the first gay president of the United States. And I think the um, the the those that fund um, the homosexual agenda political machine in the United States desperately want to see Jared Polis be the first president of the United States. So he he checks one of those boxes and he he's. Um, you know it's probably worth a half million dollars, I mean not a half million dollars, half a billion dollars. Um, he can fund his race nationally as well, so I think he's going to be a very formidable candidate, and i don 't believe Joe biden's going to run. I think the the Democrats are going to figure out a way to have him step aside he 's obviously declining mentally and um probably i don 't believe should make it till twenty twenty four much less get reelected and and go till 2028. So, um, I can't imagine that the Democrats are going to allow him to continue on as their nominee in 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 the next election cycle. So, I think that you are going to have other candidates in the Democrat party get in and I think Jared Polis is
0: going to be at the top of that list. Yeah, we got to definitely keep an eye out on that one. There's no doubt about it, he'll be an interesting uh, candidate and like I said, accrued a, a quite a large election victory in a state that sometimes can lean red. And so that's a, that's a, a, a something that's going to make him attractive to Democratic donors. And
3: who else who else do the Democrats have? Um, it's not going to be Kamala Harris. It's not going to be Pete Buttigieg. It's not going to be um, I'm blanking on his name. The former governor from Virginia, who. Um,
0: yep. Terry McAuliffe. Yep.
3: Yep. Terry McAuliffe. Thank you. They got defeated. Um, that they they have no bench
0: yeah it's a thin bench you're right
3: um the republicans have really destroyed their bench over the last couple decades and so now the only people they have are are radical leftists from the east coast or radical leftists from the west coast and newsom is at the top of that list he sure is um but he's not electable i don't think so um that's why i think you're going to see uh, uh, an outsider like jared polis that um has been a successful governor in the eyes of a Democrat, um, rise to the top of the Democrat nominating process.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. Last question for you, because you played such an important role during the Trump years and the success of the Trump presidency. 2024 on the Republican side, what does that look like? Is it is it DeSantis? Is it Trump? How do you think it plays out with the current mood of the, the electorate?
3: Well, I think that the Trump MAGA movement is probably one of the most powerful political movements of my lifetime. And I think that they are completely devoted to Trump and they will walk on glass to get him across the finish line in the, in the nomination. And every um, potential candidate, primary candidate against Trump is, knows that very same thing. And if they want to have the support of that huge movement moving forward in their political um, aspirations, that they are going to look at Trump running and they're going to say, I'm not going to run against him this time. And I think that goes for DeSantis as well. So I think um, DeSantis is not going to get in. And I think that Trump will win the nomination. And I I think that if he wins the nomination, I don't think there's any way that any other democrat can beat trump uh, um with the current crop of democrats that we just mentioned um and i i think trump will win the nominations and he will win the the white house again
0: it would be quite a finishing chapter to the trump presidency if that were to happen a remarkable really uh, it's been a remarkable eight years already leading up to the 2016 election and all the way through and Ted, you've been in the middle of so much of that success, so much of that history. And I know you have a lot more chapters of history you intend to write with the great work of the Committee to Defeat the President. Thanks for joining us. today. Great, great political insights. We'll try to get you back on real soon. I would love to. Thank you, sir. Happy New Year. God bless. Happy New Year to you. Great, great honor to have you on. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. So grateful you could join, so grateful that we could get that update in the middle of the show from our great reporter, Nick Balasey, on the floor where Kevin McCarthy is headed towards a sixth consecutive defeat and his nomination effort to be speaker. And then a great conversation with Senator Johnson. Remember some of the things he talked about the consequence when truth is suffocated in America. Three consequences Russia. Uh, Hunter Biden vaccine efficacy and vaccine safety all evolving and towards the truth that Ron Johnson told us was there, but that the establishment media, the establishment bureaucracy, the establishment social media giants tried to keep from us for a long period of time. Very powerful conversation there. And of course, Ted Harvey, who would have thought that Jared Polis is on the thoughts of a lot of political minds. He is a libertarian, liberal governor, very popularly elected in Colorado. I think he won by about 20 points or 15 to 20 points in the last election. Three great pieces of information from three great guests today. I want to thank all of them. I want to thank you for listening and remind you, Hey, all night long, we're going to have coverage on the Kevin McCarthy drama going on in the Capitol. We'll, we'll cover it stem to stern. We'll keep you up to date. So go to justinnews download the Justin news app from the Apple or Android store and keep us at your fingertips. We will keep you informed as we learn things throughout the day. And until tomorrow, I want to ask that God bless you. God bless this incredible country. Yes, it's a little disturbing to think of what's going on in the Capitol, but it will work itself out. As Scott Kamick said today, nothing good in this country comes without some hardship. And I think that we will. whatever happens in this speaker's race, it will ultimately result in a better outcome for America. That is the history that our country has been built upon. And I have every reason to believe it will continue to move in that direction. All right, God bless you. God bless this country. We'll be back tomorrow. And in case you forgot, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just The News. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare care provider.
4: Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 245 That's one 800 245 Or visit TaxNetworkUSA.com slash Victor. TaxNetworkUSA.com Victor.